When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson, here for a live edition of Take Command streaming at youtube.com slash at Odyssey Sports. And uh, of course, some folks know uh, here in the uh, in the stream yard, in the digital studio, because they're here with us, Logan. Are you ready to take questions live from the people as opposed to just live from me? Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it, actually. We'll see what happens, though. It should be fun. How many, uh, like, do you guys ever do anything live for, for Command Center or anything like that? Is this your first live so. experience? My The first thing I did live was at the stadium, which was quite a big live thing. It was for, yeah. like, a preseason, not preseason, it was for... Training uh, camp? Yeah, training camp practice. The open open the practice stadium. stuff, yeah. And it was, like, live, you were live on the microphone in the stadium. So live on the microphone wasn't bad, but you were hearing the echo of yourself. It was, like, a little bit, not overwhelming, but it was just, like, a big, big first time to be live, I'll tell you. Yeah, uh, to say the least. So uh, the other thing too, though, if you're you're providing commentary on a live practice, are you like, yeah, I don't I don't know really what Terry was doing on that route, and he can he can hear you like that'd be that'd you be always got to kind of catch it and like uh, you know <laughs> look it over here. It was more like kind of narrating the drills and stuff like that, and kind of saying, oh, like look at this drill. This is what they're trying to get out of it. Oh, that was a nice rep or whatever. You know what I mean? It was it wasn't as like kind of nitpicky. I think yeah, as, uh, you know. Just save that for right here. Yeah. Just save that for, <laughs> right. for this podcast. All right, so here's how this is going to work for those of you with us here in the digital studio. Of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast tomorrow, you don't care, sorry. Uh, you can hit the little 15-second fast-forward, and, and I'll probably be done explaining. But uh, you will put your question in the private chat feature to the right. Uh, Matt will then eventually select uh, people and say, like, yeah, no, we're going to take that question. Uh, I We would definitely prefer that if you're going to ask a question on video uh, to be on video so that we can add you to the stream. Uh, so I see, like, Tom's there. He's got his video pulled up. Uh, I know, Steven, you've got a question, so if you want to pull up your video... Uh, we can get started with you here in the chat. So uh, go ahead and put your question to the side, and, and I'll keep an eye on it. Matt will keep an eye on it. Uh, Producer Matt also has the YouTube comments pulled up, so if you just want to type your question, uh, you can get to us that way. So we are uh, ready to get going, Logan. And anything just kind of off the top before we even dive into the, the listener questions that you've been thinking about this week as you think about Giants Part 2, the rematch, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the main thing is just, when I look back at the game, the first game, I don't think it should have been that close. Like when you look at kind of how effective the offense was producing, um, you know, the defense was playing well. 
you know, like the game felt like it should have been a little bit different scoring, but just kind of the game flow, some mistakes on special teams, I think put the um, put the commanders in a weird spot where you end up with a tie against a team that you're probably better than, right? And I think after I was kind of like, oh, you know, they were lucky to tie because they did make a lot of mistakes, a lot of penalties, the special teams, things like we discussed. But I also think that, you know, when you're a more talented team, you should probably win that game. So I, I expect this game against, you know, home uh, home game for the commanders to be a little bit more definitively favoring the commanders. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I was just writing an article for, um, you know, the command center, that whole, the, the team. And one of the things that stuck out to me is like, if you can kind of make the Giants one-dimensional offensively, which I think this team is capable of doing, and kind of get out to a, a marginal lead, like a 10-point lead, their offense really simplifies. And all the things that they do really well right. in terms of insulating plays, kind of having multiple plays out of multiple different formations, different looks, different backfield actions, all that stuff kind of wanes. And um, so I think, you know, I'd like to see the offense be a tick more aggressive. And I would also think that the, that the defense can match up and just kind of trust your keys, even though they kind of – the Giants run a – a very, it's a very well coached, well designed offense. Uh, to, you know, for, which is kind of counterintuitive considering they're not such a good football team. Yeah, uh, the coaching side of this is something I think we'll get into as we go here. All right, let's go ahead and open it up to questions. Uh, again, if you have a question, go ahead and put it in the private chat to the side here in StreamYard, uh, and then we'll pull you into the video. So uh, I see Stephen. Uh, he's been been waiting patiently, uh, Stephen. Uh, appreciate you, man. Not love the Jersey looks fantastic. Uh, you got the kiddo in the background and everything. Uh, so what, go ahead and fire away with your question. Yeah, man. Thanks guys for doing this. Love the show. Uh, Thanks. I'm not driving by the way. We just picked up <laughs> okay. the kids from swim class. Uh, so I have a non unique question, um, with, you know, given the current QB climate and how hard it is to develop someone, draft someone, and then find a good QB in free agency, if Heineke is able to lead them to the playoffs and win at least one playoff game, what do you think the likelihood is? Or if you were in charge, I would say, uh, would you bring back Wentz as the starter? Uh, thanks for the question, Stephen. Appreciate it. Um, I think those are two different questions because what they might do and what I would do if, if I was in charge are probably more interesting to most of the audience, Logan, what you would do if you were in charge might be might be different things. I'll say this. If Heineken wins a playoff game, I think you kind of have to bring him back with a chance to compete for the starting job. Uh, and that's one of those things where, like, is the locker room going to let you go another way? Like, that that would take some major uh, major boldness, I'll call it. I'll term it that way. Some, some boldness from Rivera and the Martys to move on from a guy who wins a playoff game if we get to that point. I think it does make the Wentz part of this very easy, though. I, th I think you move on from him the money, you don't want to spend $26 million on him next year. I don't know that I'd want to do that anyway. Um, but I think if we're talking about a guy who wins a playoff game, Logan, like that's going to be real hard to move on from. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that I think Taylor's going to be back here. I think, you know, some type of extension. I think the question is, is he your long-term answer? And I think us, both of us would definitively say probably not right i think well, probably is not a very definitive i would say well, no yeah, I, would, I would be no, more definitive. Right? He's no not he is guy. not and i think you know looking at obviously if they make the playoffs they're going to be picking around 19 or 20 the quarterback situation is not going to be great there those top kind of guys those big names are going to be gone but i do think that there is you know this is something i gotta do some research on in the offseason but i do think there is some merit to finding guys in the second and third rounds with kind of upside talent and what i mean by that is one of the limiting factors with taylor is obviously he's got like kind of all the intangible things you want but if you were to get a guy 
and insulate him in this offense, you know, do execute the same offense, kind of grow him up in the offense, much like this Pittsburgh Steelers did with um, Ben Roethlisberger or Baltimore did with Joe Flacco, right? Kind of wait for them to develop. Even, um, you know, uh, Seattle with Russell Wilson, they all kind of followed this kind of insulate, 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 and then eventually the quarterback's ready to fly, and all of a sudden they're playoff team, uh, playoff teams in contention. And I think that that to me is something that I think is very, very compelling, very, very interesting going to this offseason is who is that? Obviously, we kind of have a general idea, you know, the kid from Alabama, the kid from Ohio State, um, USC, those types of guys, those types of names are going to be that top tier quarterback. Probably I haven't watched any of them yet. But what does that second tier look like? Does the kid from Florida kind of move the needle for you? Can you keep him insulated for a while? Do some of this quarterback run stuff? Um that they're doing that they're doing with Jalen Hurts and kind of slowly build the roster around him, keep investing at certain positions. So I, I think that is something that kind of excites me as a proposition. Again, I think Heineke should be back. I think he deserves to be back. I think there's no question about that. I don't think he is the starter for this team. If you want to, again, if you want to win playoff games, maybe he is. If you're content, kind of mulling around in this you know, almost playoff ether of, you know, almost 10 wins every season, then yes, I think you're okay. But if, if the ultimate goal is to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, which I think it is for you and I and a lot of fans and the coaches here, then something definitely needs to change, right? You need to right. be able to deploy and embrace the passing attack a little bit more to be successful in in this in this offense, in the, in the league in 2023 and, and moving forward. Yeah, so... The thing that I've always said about Heineke is he is the bar, right? Mm, if yeah. you are better than Taylor Heineke, you are a starting NFL quarterback. If you are worse than Taylor Heineke, you are a backup NFL quarterback. That is, by definition, what we're talking about here because he's a low-end starter, high-end backup. And so bringing him back as the guy that has to be beat for the job is not a bad option, especially because Taylor's proven to be someone that is okay with that kind of role and he's not gonna he's not gonna cause you problems in the locker room he's not gonna all of a sudden be like oh you told me i was a starter because they probably wouldn't they probably be like taylor we really like you uh we would love if this kid comes in and kicks butt and, and beats you out and if that's the case then then we'll roll with him and if not then we're gonna roll with you and if you keep playing well and you just keep raising that bar you you raise the bar of what he's got to beat out and like right. you can have that conversation with a guy like heineke and he's also not going to cost you a ton. Um, you know, the kid from Florida, I actually saw McShay's mock draft. I feel like he was top half of the first round all of a sudden. So we'll see. You know, if that, yeah, we'll, we'll see if it's going to be a lot of, of yeah, movement. Yeah, but, right. you know, but yeah, to yeah. Your point, I haven't watched you, any of them. So who knows? Yeah, you get that, that insulation where they don't have to do a whole lot. And the other thing I would say, though, you know, you talked about building the roster slowly, slowly around them. Roster's built in a lot of ways, depending on who stays, who goes in the offseason. But like, you've got the running back. You've got tremendous receivers. Two of the three are locked in long, long-term, as long-term as exists in the NFL. Um, and then Curtis is still here next year. Offensive line is where there's probably going to be a major investment. And so if you That's bring in a young too, guy, probably. I mean, yeah, but how much do you, like, you need depth. You need a but depth St. Juice. And, and I think it's secondary is Morris, just, again, Curl? Is one of those positions. I'm talking about corner specifically, where if you can get yeah. another kind of dog that's going to hunt out there or in the slot. Like that's kind of what this defense is missing. I think if you continue to say Jamin's going to develop, Force is going to develop, can curl, maybe Percy Butler continues to develop. I think you feel very good about that group, but the depth is a big issue. And also 
Um, yeah, you just need a dog out there, I think. And I th- so if I was going to target stuff for this team, obviously quarterback, offensive line, and some type of secondary, specifically outside corner, you know, a guy that can kind of be a developmental piece if Fuller when Fuller leaves, you know, or you know someone that challenges Fuller for that starting spot. So that that's why I mentioned corner. Sure, uh, but I guess just my larger point is like if you're a quarterback who's trying to come in and run in a fairly insulated offense, like this yeah. is a great place to do it. Right. You got you got the D line on the other side that if you can get them a little bit of a lead, they're gonna they're gonna eat. Um, you got a defense that should be built to generate some turnovers uh, because of that pressure and because of some of the team speed that they have. And then offensively, you've got weapons to throw to. You've got a coach that's committed to the running game and the head coaching position. We'll see if Scott's still here and they move forward with him or they make a change of coordinator. I think at this point, it probably odds on favor that he would stay. And honestly, Logan, like we can talk about this real quick. I don't feel nearly as bad about that as I did earlier in the season. Like I think one thing that Ron said earlier this year that it got under my skin a little bit. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, all right, yeah, it's annoying because like you want to have premier people. And you don't necessarily want people learning on the job at the NFL level, but like Scott is a young coordinator and he's continued mm-hmm. to get better. Um, and so that who's to say that's going to stop. And so the idea that he can continue to build with some of the same groups of guys um, could be a good thing for him moving forward. And, you know, we'll see. I, I don't, still don't think it's a lock that he's back, but that is something to consider when you're talking about all of this too, is like, who is the actual person calling the plays? What's that relationship like? Uh, and and how invested is that person in being here long term to grow that quarterback? Yeah, I agree. And I think you know, and I, things can change. There's still four games left in the season. Our tune might change pretty dramatically over the next four weeks if the team hits a little bit of a skid here. But I, I do think Ron deserves a lot of credit from a developmental standpoint. You know, trusting that guys are going to grow and trusting the staff to grow them. Like I think about Forrest. I think about Jamin. And you know, earlier this offseason, we were wringing our hands about that. And I think it's the same thing with Scott trusting a guy and giving them an opportunity to develop like it's funny like I go to I went to UCLA and you know John Wooden is kind of the coach coming out of UCLA everyone talks about him you know we had a couple like you know athletic meetings with him and he had 13 years or something like that before he had a winning program at UCLA and he he got to develop as a coach and grow and become something very special kind of historic in the basketball in the basketball world and I think you know, Ron is giving guys an opportunity to grow and develop. And I think that's cool. And obviously this can change and my perspective might change about this, but as of right now, kudos to him, kind of to your point to kind of stick with that group. And, uh, you know, back to the the question to Steven's question, you know, does Carson stay? I don't think so. I think it's too expensive. I think it's just not the right fit. And I don't think he's shown you enough to deserve that, you know, price tag win this, I think is going to be a pretty solid, quarterback draft and I think there will be some free agent pieces moving around that maybe fit this scheme and maybe fit this insulated role a little bit more uh a little bit better yeah at at the very least like you can't pay him that much money yeah there's no way Carson Wentz is a 26 million dollar quarterback and and sometimes it, it comes down to the finances as well in terms of solutions Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. We're streaming live. YouTube.com slash at Odyssey Sports. Thanks everyone who's watching us live there. Uh, We're checking it out, of course, after the fact. Uh, If you want to ask us a question live in the digital studio, you can check the StreamYard link on my Twitter, on Logan's Instagram. Uh, that's what Tom has done. Oh, Tom V, uh, gonna hop in with us. Tom, what's your uh, what's your question? And thanks for for hopping on with us. Hey, what's up? Appreciate you guys. Uh, so my question is kind of you guys talked about variance with the offense last time, and while I'll admit the offensive idea of increasing offensive variance with our pass pro looking at, up against Bosa, Garrett, Parsons coming up, yeah. that makes me a bit nervous, but. Do you think there's potential for more defensive variants once you get Benjamin St. Juice back? You have Bobby McCain rolling in the slot more often and potentially sort of, yes, you might have a bit more risk factored in as you maybe play, look to play a little more man coverage in some high, high, high pressure situations. But I don't know. It's just a thought I had and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I appreciate the question a lot, Tom. Um, first, I think, Logan, let's describe variants because I, I think that uh, what Tom's talked about is a little bit more process and we often use the variance term in terms of results right it's like we see a wide amount of variance because taylor heineke is not consistent in his accuracy or we see a wide amount of variance because carson wentz is not consistent with his decision making but inviting that inviting more decisions to be made inviting some higher risk is is something we can talk about from the process standpoint as well so what do you think about tom's thought of being a bit more aggressive on defense, trusting that back end a little bit more uh, in a way that maybe you didn't earlier in the season? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. Um, I think that it it is interesting. I think when you look at like defensive variants, I think the New York Giants are a really good example of what that looks like. You're basically incurring high high reward and high kind of problem i don't know the other way to word that right like you're, you're basically saying like either we're gonna get beat for a big play or we're gonna get a sack or we're gonna get a turnover or whatever it may be incomplete pass so um i think teams that aren't talented defensively want to incur more variance right you want to kind of throw a lot at the offense see if you can get them to make a mistake and then once they make a mistake, you're able to capitalize and put your team in a better position to be successful. They have to do that in part because they're not very talented. They're not very talented in the back end. They're not very talented at the linebacker position. I'm not saying they don't have. I'm not saying those people don't deserve to be in the NFL. They do. But when you kind of go around and say, if I wanted a secondary from the division, I think the Giants would probably be the last in last place at the moment, just because of health issues and things like that. The thing with the Commanders is that they are a, a, a fairly talented group. You know, I think they, they are, they're playing at a high level. They're very consistent. The defensive line's very good. They're able to cultivate pressure with the front four. And as a result, you don't need to encourage as much variance because you trust your matchups. You trust that your guys are going to win. It's like the teams, you know, high school football is interesting, college football. Um, teams engage with the air raid offense because they don't have enough pieces to consistently win running the football, for example, right? It's the same thing here defensively. So, I would say that yes, there is a, there is space against better teams like San Francisco, for example, um, maybe Dallas, where you want to bring a little bit more variance in. And and I, to Jack's credit, to Jack's credit, he does a good job of bringing variance, but not in the ways that people think. 
he brings variance in terms of disguising coverages and kind of calling coverages in specific situations to kind of confound what he's been showing so far. So even though he's not pressuring a ton necessarily, he does a good job or he has done a good job of doing that. So I think that's important to understand. I think this is a better team. I don't think I don't think they want variance. I think they want to kind of stand toe to toe with you and say, give us your best shot because we can eat it and we we'll, and we we give better than we get here. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that's the right play most often. I, th- I think that there is chances potentially to, and, and like San Francisco is the, the ultimate wild card in this because we just don't know what Brock Purdy is yet. Like as we're taping this at 7.15 on Thursday night, uh, we'll probably finish this and then go sit on our couches and watch Thursday night football. And we'll, we'll have a better idea of what Brock Purdy is uh, going into next week on Christmas Eve. But if he's a guy who proves he can't really handle blitz pressure, he doesn't see it fast enough. He can't handle it. Then perhaps it, it's worth heating him up a little bit. And to to Tom's question, like St. Juice allows you to do that because yeah. you're you're ultimately manipulating percentages, and your percentage of giving up a big play when you have better players on the back end is much lower. It's actually you're actually not inviting the variance because sure. you're still creating an advantage. It's just bringing more variety into the offense and or the defense in terms of play calling. Um, and, and I would say raising the ceiling of good outcomes without really damaging the floor mm. because St. Juice is someone who can actually, you know, basically what happens when you go cover zero, you, you blitz, whatever it may be, and you leave those things that on the back end, like you're relying on one player to make a play when the ball is going to go there. You're dictating to the quarterback, hey, there's your one-on-one matchup. If you like it, go ahead and throw it. We're comfortable with it. And... St. Juice is you, you like those odds uh, when when he's out there versus Christian Holmes versus frankly even Kendall Fuller versus Danny Johnson, and so I think especially you know the other the other element of this Logan is looking specific to this weekend. How many resources and this isn't really like a aggressive conservative you know calculation, but how many resources or, or what kind of resources do you commit to the run? this weekend and trying to stop Daniel Jones in a way that they didn't two weeks ago. Now that you feel more comfortable playing man coverage on the back end with St. Juice back in there. I mean, I think we've talked about this. We talked about this on the Tuesday show is the, uh, or the Wednesday show is the idea that like Philly was able to kind of go a little bit more aggressive man to man coverage, mess up some of the timing routes, match up with some stuff, commit more resources to stopping the run. Um, and I, when I look at this team, for example, I, you know, I think obviously Benjamin St. Juice allows you to do that. I think, again, I think Jack deserves a lot of like sneaky credit here. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously there's this thing, oh, we can play a lot of man, let's play man. But I think he does a good job of kind of knowing who the defense is at its core. They're a cover three match defense, right? And so how do we, that's that's our main punch. That's our jab. That's what we're going to throw consistently, right? But when we need a knockout punch, like what's the coverage we're going to go to? Is it going to be a cover two invert? Is it going to be a man coverage? Is it going to be a zero? And so I look at what he did against Philly and it was zero, right? I look against what like the Giants in the first game, it was a cover two invert. And he called it at the right moments to kind of befuddle and kind of confuse, not not even not a kind of, he confused Daniel Jones enough where the pressure's able to get home and they're able to get sacks. So I think that that's, that's kind of the nuance here is that this team is not a blitzing team. Right, they don't they don't bring a ton of pressure. So you know, playing a little bit more man, it's really just a change up to what you do, and enough of a change up to kind of confound what the quarterback wants to do. And so um, I think Jack's uh, Jack's done a really nice job of that and deserves a ton of credit. And I think 
he will probably abide by a similar principle. You know, as much as we say commit all these resources to stopping the run, after watching the Giants again today for a couple hours, I was like, man, this team is really, really well coached. They really are schematically very, very sound. And so don't get out of what you do well because you know how to match up versus all these different looks and all these different structures, all these different motions, all these different shifts. And I think you feel much better about that. So as much as like the gut instinct on Tuesday is let's stop the run, let's commit everything to that. They're so well coached and they get in so many kind of games plan, plan specific runs and pass concepts and keepers and boots. Be, be who you are, be what you're good at. And, you know, I don't think the Giants are capable of consistently executing against this defense for long stretches of time, which I think bodes well for the team. Yeah, so that gets into like the coaching side of it and, and what it means to be well coached. And and I think that, you know, we did a good job uh, or you did a good job and then I was able to, to find the film to back it up uh, of showing like defensively, right, what Martindale does and and you were explaining in, in great detail how he manipulates the rules of what it is that the mm. commanders were trying to do protection-wise, right? Same thing goes for what you're talking about on the offensive side. It's like, we're going to try to get you in personnel that we find advantageous to us. We're going to try to move them around the field and create right. things that are good for us. And the the funny thing is, while we talk about all these options that the commanders have, um, and this goes really on both sides of the ball, but sp talking specifically to their defense, like with the versatility, right? They can play McCain in the slot. They can play him deep. They can play curl in the box. They can play him deep. Forrest can come down to the box. McCain can play nickel. Curl can play the Buffalo nickel. Uh, you know, Jamin's all over the place. Like they have all these different options for what they can do. Cinco front, four down. They sometimes play it at what it winds up looking like a true three, four. Like they have all different kinds of options they can do defensively. That stuff actually winds up getting you in trouble against a team like the Giants because the Giants will manipulate it and move you around and they quickly adapt and quickly adjust and will use motions, use shifts. And it's not that all that stuff can't be useful. It's that when it's not what you're comfortable with, you increase your chances of making mental right. mistakes. And so for Washington this weekend, like I think it's it's just finding the, the simple things um, that they do well, like you like you were saying, and just, you know, figure out what, yeah, the Giants are trying to ultimately accomplish this. Can we see through the window dressing and can we be solid in, in our assignments and, and go from there? Yeah, I mean, you know, usually like I, I, I coach, I help, I consult with a couple of guys on the team and they ask me to like say, hey, can you find tendencies in these on these specific plays in these certain situations? And golly, man, credit to uh, Kafka and, and Brian Dayball. They just do a really nice job of saying the second you think you've got something oh, on this short motion versus a heavy personnel, they, they run duo. It seems like 85% of the time. The next play, seemingly, they run a play action pass, right? And they just do a really good job of unsettling you and saying, oh, the tight end's a little bit deep on this play. They like to bring him back from that look. And then it's like, no, they're running zone read to the front side. And you're just like, that is so unsettling and so disconcerting for defensive players who are constantly looking for edges, right? And so um, what I would, yeah, again, it kind of goes back to my main point. It's like as much as you want to bring something new and do something different and really stress this Giants defense, I think, again, Jack does that. It's not in the demonstrative way that like we as fans or we as analysts want necessarily, but he does that. And he's, he manages to keep his guys in a comfortable situation, right, where they're able to kind of be at their best. Like I, I think about 
you know, this is something really good that Jack did on the first drive. They're running a lot of counter, right? And counter is basically, you know, you're going to pull the backside guard. They have the tight end on the front side who's going to release, kind of act like he's going to block and release. The, the defensive end's eyes are on the uh, on the tight end, and then he gets kicked out, and then the other tight end leads up inside on the linebacker. So they were getting eat up on this counter play. And then Jack, to his credit, just calls a little bit of line stunt, says, you know, the defensive end's going to pinch, the linebacker's going to flow over the top, James Smith-Williams smokes the guard right in the face, and the run's dead. And then it's like they're out of sync, they're off schedule, they put your defense in a good spot. So just kind of sprinkling in a little bit of that, understanding what they're doing he got him again later on an outside zone like he deserves a lot of credit for calling really nice defensive games and putting his guys in situations where you know he gets a feel for what they're doing the Giants are doing offensively and then is able to kind of subvert that expectation and get the guys in a good spot so as much as the Giants are kind of disguising stuff and and breaking tendencies and they deserve a lot of credit for that and finding little game plan, plan wrinkles Jack deserves a ton of credit for that first game of saying hey this is what we're doing. These are the adjustments we're going to make and then executing them. So, um, yeah, man, it's going to be a really fun chess match to watch this week, I think. So Ron actually had an interesting comment along those lines in his press conference Wednesday. Um, and he said, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do, and he's like, you know, I know Jack's trying to do this, is not have to adjust so much in games. Like, he's really happy, Ron is. And to a point, Jack is satisfied with like the adjustments they're making in-game, but they would like to not have to make them because they're getting beat so much first. Right. And trying to do a better job... Uh, now I'm, I'm I'm expanding out on his comments, but trying to do a better job of scouting uh, and, and getting ahead on the game plan side of it and the preparation side that you're not making an adjustment you know, a quarter and a half into the game because the team's... Mm-hmm continuously hitting something on you because it like those minutes count those games count you know uh, every everything once you start kickoff week one it all counts and it's one thing to be able to dig yourself out of a hole like they have in a season or to come back in an individual game but if you can figure out what it is that that's making you so vulnerable early on and make your life a little bit easier that is obviously going to be better and so that's something they looked at in terms of their self-scout during the bye week was what processes can we have to sure up some of this scouting and then obviously in-game make these adjustments even faster, although they've right. done a good job of adjusting and shutting some things down this season? Yeah, I think that's the thing. That's the thing with the Giants specifically. Like obviously versus like Philadelphia, I think is a good example. They kind of do what they do. They do they're not going to change who they are to meet you because they're really good. They're very, very talented. And why would they do that? The Giants, however, I think they understand that they are limited. So they're always looking, seemingly, always looking for kind of different edges and different wrinkles and different ways to get to the stuff they want to get to. And I think that's what makes it tough with the Giants to kind of predict where they're going to be at, to predict what they're going to do. Um, You know, I had a conversation with Ron about protections today. And I said, you know, how do you kind of predict what Wink's going to do? And he says, well, what we got to do is we got to look at what he did last time. We got to look at what he's done against teams like us and then see if we can kind of prep the guys based on that. And I think there's some similar elements to that when looking at what Jack's doing, right? In terms of self-scouting the defense, it's basically saying like, you know, this is what, um, you know, this is, this is, this is what they did versus, I don't know, Jacksonville or whoever Jacksonville doesn't run the same defense as them anymore, but whoever it is and saying, you know, can we derive something from this? But there's also an evolution you can tell from the giants over the course of the season too. So it's just, it, it, I feel, I feel, I feel bad for Jack because there's no, 
possible way. The only way is to kind of get Scott in the room and be like, how would you attack the defense? And Scott's perspective is going to be much different than Kafka's perspective. So it's, right. it's from a defensive perspective, it's it's tough. It's very, very tough to kind of be predictive as opposed to not being reactive because that's essentially the nature of, of defense. And I guess my point is that Jack has done a nice job of being has, has done a nice job in, in high leverage shift situations, at least in the first Giants game, of dictating certain responses, which is great. Right. So I guess how do you do that to your point in the first quarter, which is which is more challenging. Right. But then again, then the Giants adjust and then the next, you yeah. know, the and adjustment. It's, like, it's, it's, it's like a yeah, matching yeah. game of adjustments. So yeah. um that's always that's always the hard part is can you can you ultimately make the one that there isn't something to come back from? Like it's just yeah. like, oh, we're screwed now. And I will say this though about the Giants, they do do a good job in the first half of kind of coming out with this thing that you're like, man, we weren't ready for this. It's not but the second you kind of figure that out, they don't do a great job of like that's kind of their thing. That's like their punch. They're not good enough to be like, all right, they're doing this. Now we're going to switch to this. Like they just can't pass protect well enough. They don't have enough skill position guys, right? So they're kind of I don't want to say they're screwed because they're still a good football team in, in in other ways and coaching and adjustments. But that's like the main thing that gets in their yardage that gets you gets you excited about them is because they've they've got this little wrinkle that you haven't been expecting, right? So once you figure it out, it's like, that's it. And I think you kind of felt that in the first game. You felt it against Philly. You felt it against Detroit when you watched those games. You felt it against Dallas once they're like, okay, this is what they're doing. All right, this is what this is our response. Then it's like, now what, New York? And I think that's going to be right. interesting as well to watch. Right. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Thanks, everyone, watching live on YouTube as we go here and everyone here in the digital studio as well. So far, so good, Logan. Uh, we we don't screw this up in the last 15 minutes. Maybe they'll let us do it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like it's going really. We got some – Those both those questions were great. Really good. Great questions, yeah. Really good. Uh, so Dennis is watching on YouTube. I, I don't know how this is going to go. I, I've got a new feature that we're going to try out. I'm going to hit to show Dennis – oh, there it is. Matt did it. Uh, Biggest key for the commanders to beat, not tie the Giants on Sunday. Love the pod, fellas. Thanks, Dennis. Appreciate you. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for watching on YouTube and getting your comment in. So uh, if you have to isolate, like, if they do this, I feel like it's the most important thing. What do you feel like that thing is for Sunday? This is always very challenging. It's, fair. it's hard to be, like, specific with this because I hate talking in generalities about a game. But the the main thing for me as an off, a former offensive player is if you can put New York in a situation where they're like 10 points down, 10 points down, let's say with that, I think they all of this little cute game plan stuff that they do, matching round formations, play pass, it kind of goes out the window. And if you look at what Philly did, is they basically said, we are going to score a lot of points early. And it wasn't easy. I think everyone thinks that that game was, I talked about this in the, the Wednesday show, it wasn't easy for them to score points. But mm-hmm. if you can leverage them out of that, they get into more like like any team would. They get into more drop back stuff, and right, not, but they stink at that. They're not good at it, right? <laughs> I'm glad you said that. They're not good at it. So to me, that is going to be a huge element. And I look at the first game, and I'm like, those opportunities for a 14 nothing first quarter are there, right? You miss the throw to Logan Thomas. You um, you know, like there's the the read to Jahan where there's a little bit of pressure. You miss that. That is easily 14 points. So again, that's. 14 to zero, the complexion of that j- game changes dramatically, right? There's also the special teams kind of miscues that I think led to some conservatism, you know, on those drives in the, I think it was the th- second and third quarters. I don't remember exactly. 
but just managing some of that, managing some of those mistakes. And then if you, if you're up by 14, this defense will eat this offense up because again, they have to transition out of what makes them really effective. Yeah. I am going to stick, even though we we've talked a little bit about this earlier with Jones, I'm going to stick with making sure Jones doesn't beat you with his legs. I think if you are more diligent about him as a scrambler and him as a runner in general, they can't get first downs and sustain drives and score points without that element. And so I hear what you're saying in terms of resource allocation and you want to definitely do what you're good at. And I think that the commanders just execute their defensive game plan. They're fine. But like that game plan should include spies. It should include uh, a heavy uh, emphasis on containing Jones and not letting him escape the pocket because especially with Saquon banged up, they're not good enough. And especially with, with St. Juice back to, to follow Slayton around. If you want to do that, he's their only guy. Yeah. And if they don't have Jones picking up first downs, Jones getting chunk plays with his legs, Jones scrambling and then making throws off schedule, they don't have much. And so obviously if Taylor executes on, on the offensive side and, and all of a sudden you're up big, like, yeah, that's going to, that's going to go well. But in terms of a biggest key that's likely to fall within the parameters of the game and, and things that are controllable, they've got to do a better job on Jones. Yeah. I think it's 71 yards in the last game on the ground. Like if you can keep that number down, even in the forties, like I, I just don't see how the giants generate enough offense to compete. If the commanders get their standards 17 to 23. Yeah, I think I, I, I mean, that to me is in terms of defensive approach, like it's Daniel Jones or bust. And I think it's also important to try and mitigate some of what he does from an explosive play standpoint. You know, the first scramble he has in that game, which is for like 17 yards, 18 yards. I don't remember exactly you know, there's a post wide open down the middle of the field that just so happens he can't see because the tight end loses in protection and he catches a pressure. They have, he has the ability to affect the game with his arm as well. So as much as you want to talk about him as a runner, like that's where I think Benjamin say juice addition back is really critical because they can take shots. They can hurt you down the field and they are scrappy enough defensively that a couple of big plays can totally change the complexion of the game. Right. So, um, I agree to me defensively, the key Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, because he quite frankly is the only thing they have. Like you look at Darius Slayton, everyone says, Oh, look at Darius Slayton. He's, you know, four, three fast. He's an explosive play. He has the highest drop rate of any receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Like, he catches one of those balls on the, the last drive last week. The commanders are screwed. That's not a tie game. That's an L. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think that that's something you mentioned Saquon being hurt. Like it's, it's Daniel Jones. He's the guy that makes this go. And it's, and it's the play calling around him, the play design around him that gets that done. So um, I agree. And I think defense, like, but I do think that if the offense can score some points, you put your defense in a much better situation early on to kind of just totally suffocate that offense. All right. So we're nearing the end of a live show, Logan. So what does that mean? That means Linnell's going to appear. Oh, this is yeah, so Linnell's, exciting. Linnell, Linnell, of course, uh, comes in at the end of the show for a countdown to kickoff on, on Sundays. Uh, by the way, we are live on Sunday. This this is where we're used to talking to each other in front of a live audience slogan. Uh, Sundays, <laughs> uh, countdown to kickoff. Uh, we are 6 to 8.20 before Linnell and uh, Denton take you for Burgundy and Gold Game Day live during Sunday Night Football. Uh, but L- Linnell not going to pop on the actual video with us. He, but he does, uh, in the chat, want to know, what solutions do you have to improve the red zone offense? OC Paulson, yeah. where 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 are our red zone issues beginning, and how do they end? 
Well, Linnell, that is a very Linnell question of you. I would say, um, you know, I put, I put a video up on my Instagram yesterday that kind of details some of my thoughts on this, and it has some video to go with it, so make sure you check that out. And what I will say about the red zone is I think Scott has actually done a very good job in the red zone of, of designing plays that put our offense in better positions to be successful. And if you look at over the last two weeks, like if they hit on one or two plays, uh, which are wide open against the Giants, they're at 60% which is top 10 in the NFL. If you look at the game against Atlanta, there's two, again, wide open opportunities for them to score touchdowns. They're at 66% in that game, which puts you at fifth in the NFL, right? So they are not far off. And I think the fact that these plays are open in the secondary and they, that Scott has, again, he's done a Scott in the red zone. Some of these plays done a really nice job of scheming up, dictating coverages, right? Via personnel understanding what the coordinator likes to do in certain situations and then calling plays to beat those coverages. I think he's done a great job of that. Yeah. So let's actually, let's, let's open up some detailed notebook stuff here real quick, because I think you just made a really important point uh, in terms of dictating in the red zone coordinators, defensive coordinators, playbooks in the red zone shrink massively. Yeah. Like there are teams that will run like one coverage in the red zone. Like there, there were teams that when I was covering, uh, the, the league day to day or covering the commanders day to day, they you know, you'd ask an offensive player like, Oh, well, what's this? What's that? And they'd be like, yeah, in the red zone, they run quarters. Like, mm -hmm. That's it. Like, yeah. That's what, that's what they do. They just run quarters. And so, you know, obviously a lot of teams run man down there. Um, and you see a lot of pick plays at the goal line accordingly. Um, some of those have worked very well for teams. Some of those very famously, the Malcolm Butler play in the Super Bowl have not gone quite as well. Um, you know, so you see, you see stuff like that with relative frequency. You also have, deep red versus high red, which I think is another like thing that we should parse out here is when this team has gotten in the deep red zone, it's like, all right, we handed it to Brian Robinson and he smashes people in the face and he winds up in the end zone. It's a lot harder though, when you're 12 yards out, you know, what is the play call when you're on the seven yard line, you're kind of in that no man's land in the middle of the red zone, um, where you're trying to figure out what is the best way to attack here. Do I have the, depending on the, the situation, do I have the ability to run the ball here? Um, or do I need to pass it because of time score type of stuff? And those all go into your red zone percentages on the entirety of the season. But that's that's a lot of caveats, a lot of what ifs, a lot of you know, yeah, uh, background. But ultimately, like it comes down to execution down there, and that's the yeah. hardest thing is the space also gets really tight, and the only yeah. way to expand is vertically, and they don't have a lot of vertical threats, and it's why missing guys like Logan Thomas, you know, when when Taylor misses those throws. Those are killers because like you have your big tall guy that expands the space up a little bit and, and you throw it too high over his head. Um, you got to take advantage of those things because it, there's just not a lot of room down there and there's really fast dudes running around all over the place. It's also why you see a lot of red zone turnovers. You know, yep. there's just not a lot of space and you don't see the backside defender who comes and undercuts a throw. So um, I, I guess then to wrap it back into like a question though is at what point do you have to start trying other stuff? Like Taylor's got to be able to hit what you call, you know, if, if consistently he's not hitting the stuff that you call, you got to try something else. Um, Cause it's clear that's, that's not something that he's very good at. So is there a way to find stuff that he likes or is, is it all misses on different things for different reasons? And you feel good that if you come back to some of the stuff that you've done, he'll hit it the next time. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of would lean into the idea that he'll hit it next time because I, yeah. again, Scott or the play, whoever is doing their red zone stuff, cause it's not always the OC. Usually they like subcontract that out to, you know, the quarterback coach or the tight end coach, whoever is doing that. 
has done a really nice job of putting them in an excellent position to be successful down there. And I look at the Atlanta game, for example, like the throw to John Bates is just a tick late, right? The the miss to Jahan, which everyone's been talking about, again, is just a tick late. And I do feel like he's being Taylor's being a little bit conservative in the red zone and being a little bit more deliberate. And so if I'm Scott, if I'm Zampezi, I'm kind of kind of say, hey man, remember, we have cultivated this space. Trust your receiver to enter the space and be on time with the football. And so if he does that, that's two touchdowns right there, you know, and everyone's feeling happy and we're, we got one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL, which is crazy to say. Yeah, but that would be fantastic. I, I also that. think another thing that is important is that on some of these plays, like the one to Jahan, for example, like Taylor could be on time, but also the pressure, I think, is another thing that affects it, right? Against, there's a, against Atlanta, there's a Tampa 2 coverage Really beautiful play design. You know, a guy sits over the ball, post by number two, Jahan. And there's, I mean, you won't see a bigger hole in the red zone in your whole life. And he can't get the ball there because there's a little bit of pressure. And that's something yeah. that we've known about, you know, with the offensive line having some struggles. And that's one of the reasons why it's been tough in the red zone too. Because, again, the, the windows are tighter. The timing's more acute. And Scott's done a good job of, to my eye anyway, of creating nice throws, at least over the last two weeks and creating good opportunities there but again if you can't protect it and it's not like the protection calls are bad it's not like anything like that like you know i look at the uh the pressure that he had on the jahan play for example you know they're they got larson on dexter lawrence and dexter lawrence is their best pass rusher but they also have a slide that way so there's a double team to start but leno loses inside which is fine because he's to the side of the slide so Norwell has to leave, and then he's in a then uh, Larson's in a one on one situation with the best pass rusher on their team, right? So again, you've schemed it up appropriately. You've got the double team where it's supposed to be, but just kind of how the play shakes out, which happens in football all the time, you're put in a bad spot. So um, this is part of why football is frustrating, and to a certain extent, is because it takes all eleven guys. So if you're deficient in one area, it's going to expose you, right? If the quarterback's a little bit late, it's going to expose you, and that's why certain quarterbacks are more effective in the red zone, right? Because they have a little bit more stronger arm. They have a little bit more anticipation, which is weird because Taylor's also very good at throwing with anticipation. So yeah. that's, uh, I don't know why he kind of turtles up in those moments. Maybe he's worried, maybe the field goal and maybe they're talking in his ear, like don't make a mistake here. But I do think that um, Scott and the offensive staff have done a solid job. So in terms of improving, just about taking these opportunities that are there and then winning your one-on-ones and making plays. And, like, you know, I've been on teams where the red zone stuff is completely covered and there's nothing going on. You kind of say, well, shoot, you know, they're, we need to do something schematically better. Here, that's not the case. Like, schematically, it's there. It's just if I'm a, if I'm on this team and I'm playing offensive line or tight end, whatever I'm saying, that's on us as players. Like, we got to be a little bit better there. And I think they would say the same thing. Yeah, and we've, we've seen uh, Taylor execute some of this stuff uh, throughout the season and, and even in the preseason. I'm trying to remember, was it to Cam, uh, the one he had in the preseason? Um, he, oh, he yeah, had yeah, someone yeah. Yeah. on like a beautiful uh, right. seam ball that that is thrown with fantastic anticipation, and we're all going, oh, yeah, that's what that op- this offense is supposed to look like. Right. And and those kind of moments are where you succeed in the red zone. He's had a couple of them. Uh, the touchdown to Gibson uh, right. that they had this year. Like Red zone stuff works when it's in timing, or it works when you're doing the crazy scramble drill. And... If, if you're a tick late, it's not going to work. And and unfortunately, they've been a tick late uh, 
a tick too often, if you will, right. uh, this season. All right. That's that's our first live show. We did yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun, man. Great did, questions. We, we and, did the pod. And yeah. now, now Matt gets to go edit it and put it up on the internet for everyone else to listen to. Which, if you're listening to it later, thank Matt. Because... Because he did it. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you are watching or listening right now. Of course, the Odyssey Sports YouTube page for full episodes. Some of y'all are watching live as this unfolded. Uh, if not, there's a chance to watch the full thing back on Odyssey Sports YouTube page, youtube.com slash at Odyssey Sports. Uh, we also post clips on 106.7 The Fans YouTube page and on mine, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. There, you can catch my interview with Monday night or Sunday night football play-by-play announcer Mike Tirico. Uh, that will be up shortly on my YouTube page. In fact, by anyone who's watching this back's uh, status, and it'll be up now. So go check that out. Nice uh, of flex, course, Greg. Good job. Yeah, right there. Uh, <laughs> when uh, <laughs> that's going to get cut out for use later. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can also check us out wherever you're listening. Of course, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or the always free Odyssey app. Uh, I'll see y'all. On the radio, uh, 3 o'clock for the Hoffman Show. We'll see you 6 o'clock for Countdown to Kickoff on Sunday night, leading to Sunday night football. See you then. Let's go. Sunday night football around the corner. Exciting, man. Yeah. Take command.